You're listening to the Educated Athlete Podcast, a show dedicated to empowering athletes and practitioners to perform at their best through education. I'm Coach T, and I'm an exercise physiologist. If you want to elevate your game, take your fitness and sport performance to the next level, or become a better coach, this is the podcast for you. Let's learn. Let's get it. 100%. All right, Michael Brandt, my man. Dude, I am so stoked you're here. Welcome to the Educated Athlete Podcast. What is good? What is good, Trevor? The stoke is all mine. (laughs) Let's go. Wonderful. So, Michael, can we start by just explaining to our audience who you are, what you do, the amazing company that you started? Sure. I'm Michael Brandt. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Health Via Modern Nutrition. You can find us on hvmn.com or hvmn on any and all social networks. I'm also a distance runner. I'm a 242 marathoner. So, you know, not going, not going to the Olympics, but also, you know, faster than your average bear. It's around like 610 pace per mile. Um, And yeah, you know, I was not always this way. I was in undergrad. I studied computer science and product design at Stanford. I was a big nerd. You know, always active, okay. never, you know, that dialed in. And I think part right. of how I've been able to make really quick progress, A, as a runner and B, building a space at the forefront of modern nutrition has been you know, just taking a rigorous systems approach, engineering approach to the human body, being really mindful about outputs and inputs and thinking about the human body as this platform for innovation. And how do I, I like how do I move quickly? How do I empower a community of of customers plus to uh, make the most of their, of their body. Right. 100%. Incredible story, man. What, uh, what got you into health via modern nutrition? I mean, that is such like an interesting space to go from computer science. Was there a switch? Like I'm assuming there was some sort of passion that was flipped at some point there or something that happened maybe an aha moment or. Yeah. Yeah. So it became obvious to me at some point that the human body is the next platform for innovation. Okay. What I've tried it all, right? Counting my footsteps, optimizing my sleep, saying my cheek swab to 23andMe. Okay, okay, yeah. Measuring my heart rate, you know, like everything, go, being in your lab, getting every biomarker, uh, measured right. around, around my health and performance. Um, and it just became obvious that, you know, the human body, your body, this is someone, someone else told me this once, your body is the most sophisticated piece of technology that you'll ever own. And now okay. is the time, right? We have, we have all of this sophistication around hardware and software to be able to measure your outputs. Like I literally have a continuous glucose monitor right here. I was wearing one last week. I'm yeah. about to, I can go into more detail, nice. but I'm about to reinstall one. Is that the one. levels? Yeah, exactly. The levels yeah. One? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing this stuff for, you know, five, six, seven years along with my co-founder and our whole team okay. and a lot of our community here. And yeah, it just became obvious. You know, I think the gen- the technology generation before us was, you know, smartphone apps and you know snapchat instagram uber like all that stuff was the i would say the previous wave of innovation and i think the next right. most impactful wave of innovation for all of the globe is on on and in the human body so right my company is particularly concerned with the inputs we make nutrition products to help people optimize their metabolism but we're standing on the shoulders of giants right we're part of this overall wave yeah. of the human body being something that people are thinking more about. Like everyone has access to the internet and podcasts and uh, all these hardware and software tools. 
not everybody, right? Like this, let's be fair, but like broadened access, like a thousand times more access than, you know, a decade ago, because these things exist right. and before they didn't. And so now people are just sophisticated. Yeah. Like we used to be driving blind and now you can know all these things. I mean, we were just riffing before this about uh, the advents in measuring your power as a runner and that's just new technology. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're able to glean new insights and that might change your attitude towards your nutrition or your training paradigm or, or what have you. So I think now is a really exciting yeah. time to be an athlete, to be an it entrepreneur, is. to be, you know, in any of this area. I love it. You got me excited, man. <laughs> you got me stoked. So you brought up uh, your company specifically focuses on inputs. And I think that's a really uh, specific way to put it. You have, I think one of your top products um, in theory and on my end, and what I could see would be the ketone ester. That right. is as well as the nootropics. Can you explain to our audience specifically, like what is a ketone ester just as its basis? Why would I take a ketone ester as an endurance athlete or just as a human normally? Yeah, so let me start by saying the history on ketone esters is super exciting, super interesting. There's been tens okay. of millions of dollars of research that have gone into it. This started as a DARPA, like US defense DARPA, program okay. to look at it was called operation metabolic dominance and they were looking specifically oh. at yeah i know right they were looking specifically Ooh, I like at, that. <laughs> at drinkable ketones also known as exogenous ketones for extending warfighter performance um, in combat zones and so that's been that's been ongoing for decades now and we kind of we picked up the thread there and we were the first to come to market with this ketone okay. technology and it's moving very quickly. And just so to, to answer, you know, what is a ketone? A lot of times, maybe people have heard about ketones because they've heard of the keto diet, which is basically right. when your body runs low on carbohydrates, your body will start burning fat and turning it into something called ketones, which can use for energy. So the innovation here that my company has, and, you know, we're not the only ones on the market with a ketone at this point, um, this this ketone is basically a way to have that same ketone that your body makes, except you can now just drink it directly and have that in your system right. directly, which is advantageous for a number of reasons, because now yeah. you, can have, you can have carbohydrates and ketones at the same time, right? Because you used to only be able to make ketones when you're running low on carbs. Now you can have carbs and ketones at the same time. Um, also that process, we'll talk, we can talk more about this, but that process of turning fat into ketones isn't super fast. It's something you can get faster with if you line up your training and you get more metabolically flexible. Most advanced mm -hmm. marathon runners are quite metabolically flexible and are able to relatively quickly turn fat into ketones, but still it's not as fast as being able to drink it directly. Um, so yeah, right. there's, there's a number of interesting advantages that for, for elite athletics, yes, and also it's interesting for different therapeutic use cases. The keto diet itself has like initially came about a hundred years ago as people were using it to address epileptic seizures. The keto diet has mm. been addressed, used to address diabetes, a whole host of cardiovascular, neurological, metabolic issues. So for many of those, there's this open question that, all, that different research institutions are looking at, which is, hey, if the keto diet helps with this, what about a drinkable ketone? Can that also help with this? So I just wanted to plant that flag too. I know we're mainly here to talk about yep. athletics, but it's a whole wide world oh, out there. And, and yeah, like when we talk about metabolic health, yes, that's important athletes, but just wanted to plant that flag that it's also broadly interesting. We're all, one thing I like to say, you know, we're all doing metabolism all the time. So it's, it's broad yeah, for sure. It's always on. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I always, uh, when I teach XFIT specifically the metabolism and bioenergetics, I'm always sharing with my students that all of our energy systems are always on. They're just kind of like a light dimmer. For example, one might be brighter than the other. Right. But as we transition through different phases of life, from chilling, sleeping, to running, jumping, flying, whatever it is that we're doing, right, that's when those switch uh, switches occur and the dimmer either brightens or, or decreases in its brightness. Um, so awesome. you brought up something really interesting, uh, talking about ketones. And so how ketones are transitioned right, from fats that we store and we break down fats into those ketones. It takes a while. Um, so I think to put that also really simply is that we have three, for anybody listening, we have three primary big energy systems, phosphogen, glycolytic, and then our oxidative systems, really. Phosphogen happens really, really fast. This is zero to 15 seconds. And there's really only one or two primary contractions or primary reactions that happen. Hence why we can get energy so fast. Second energy metabolism pathway, glycolytic pathway is our sugar pathway. That takes a little bit longer, but sugars we use for high intensity exercises because they can produce a lot of energy relatively quickly. And then the fat and the oxidation pathway that happens, that's the third of the three, usually takes a while. There's a lot of processes and a lot of reactions. So there's simply more reactions that occur, which takes longer to go through. And you brought up something really interesting, metabolic flexibility. I want to make sure people caught that because that's critical, right? Elite athletes have the capacity to change their bioenergetic demands based on the responses and the environment or the stimulus around them. So can you talk yeah. a little bit more on metabolic flexibility? Because I want to make sure people really yeah. ask. That's and, a really, and, it's a complex topic, but it's really important to know. Yeah. And, and one, and I, I like the way you, you broke it down from phosphogen to glycolytic to oxidative. One analogy, maybe if there's any other fellow nerd balls in the audience is it's kind of like thinking yeah. about your computer processor versus your RAM versus your hard drive. Your processor yeah. stores a very small amount of information and goes super duper fast. Your RAM is a lot larger. It's a little bit slower. Your hard drive, if you got to actually spin a physical disc, hey, it can store terabytes of information, but it's going to be a little bit slower. So right. I don't know I like if that, that added clarity. I think for some, some folks out there that might add clarity, um, if that was confusing, <laughs> just pretend I didn't say anything. You know, Trevor explained it really well. Um, oh, I bet that's good. Yeah. And so, and so like to, yeah, to answer, to answer your question, Trevor, about uh, metabolic flexibility, it basically is, it speaks to whether you're able to dim those light dimmers as needed for the task at hand. So it's not right. just that your light dimmer is a certain set way. It's like if you go on more long runs in a carbohydrate depleted state, your body will increase its ability to turn fat into ketones for usable energy. You'll literally create more enzymes to, to do that right. process. Um, I, a lot of people maybe also know that, you know, as you, as you train, your muscles get more dense and sometimes larger and better at storing glycogen. So you're able to basically imagine a computer with more RAM, like you're able to have yeah. more glycogen when you're a trained athlete than not. So all of these speak to this general concept of metabolic flexibility, it's being able to run long when you want to run long, being able to run fast when you want to run fast and like specifically looking that, at that through a lens of fuel and metabolism. Critical. I love that response. That takes me back to a concept that I teach in Exodus 2 called the SEDS principle. So specific oh. adaptations to impose demands. It's really the baseline of physiology of what, of how we roll. And that specific adaptations to impose demands explains exactly what you shared. So if you go on long runs a lot and you really stress the system, that oxidative system, 
and you're consistently using those oxidative enzymes, your body's going to super constant compensate and create a bigger storage of those. If you're right. constantly running out of glycogen, that's going to be a big stimulus to store more glycogen. Right. But on the other end, if you're not doing long runs and you're doing really fast, powerful things like sprints, your body's going to get better at storing phosphates, but it's not really going to get too much better at storing the other things unless you're doing those sprints repeated long-term and so on. So the SEDS yeah. principle is, is really what it gets to. And yeah. for anyone listening, if you want to get good at sprinting, you got to sprint. If you want to get good at running long distance, you got to run a long distance. If you want to get fast at it, you got to run long distances fast as well. Yeah. So SEDS principle, yeah. also a good takeaway. I love that. Um, another thing, so uh, I think this is a good segue into substrates specifically. Mm -hmm. So talking about fats, carbohydrates, and so on. So we just talked about the glycogen system predominantly, which it uses and only uses sugars, aka carbohydrates, and the oxidative systems are what oxidize fats in the pathway. And so I think it's important to touch on the intensities and how different intensities require different substrates. So we yeah. know that there's this variable in exercise physiology, as you came into the lab, called the respiratory exchange ratio. So this is um, the amount of CO2 out per oxygen that we consume. And, and basically, if RER is low, around 0.7, that's 100% fat utilization. If RER is equal to one, it's 100% carbohydrate utilization. That's right. And we know that that variable increases as exercise intensity increases. So as we're chilling here talking, we got a little bit of metabolism working underneath. Maybe we're at a yeah. 0.8, 0.85, so 50-50. But if we're sleeping and snoozing, our RER is going to be closer to seven. And as we increase our intensity of exercise or start moving or whatever that it is, demands of like um, rigorous yeah. rhythmic movements, we're going to get to the carbs. So with that based on baseline of substrates, where do the ketone esters kick in? Because you brought up something really important. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, rather than running out of carbs and then tapping into the fuels of the fats, right? you can have both processing at the same time. So you right. have this engine that's like turbocharged plus you like added another engine almost inside right. of it, if that makes sense. If that's yeah. a proper analogy, I think so. But can you riff on that <laughs> yeah. like substrate? So yeah, if yeah. I'm training, how does that help? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me, that's a great question. The short answer is that if you drink ketones and you're in, they're in your system, those will go to the top of the stack. Your body does not have a natural way to take ketones and like repack it into fat. So what okay. happens when you drink ketones, it actually has a glycogen sparing effect. So it will literally okay. burn ahead of your glucose, you know, your glycogen breakdowns. So yeah, the ideal scenario to be in on race line for, you know, the Boston marathon is that over the course of your months of training, you have done training such that you've developed that metabolic flexibility. Your body is very good mm. at turning fat into ketones. And then yeah, the week of, what do you do? You taper, you let your glycogen stores fully replete. You carb load the night before, you just full tank of glycogen. Breakfast yeah. on race day morning, have a banana getting right, like just top off that carbohydrate store. Right. And so if we're keeping track, so we already have a very good metabolic flexibility. Our body knows what to do with fat when, when the rubber hits the road and we have a full tank of carbs. If you then also drink ketones, it's basically just a, it's a third source. It's going through that fat pathway in parallel with your yeah. carbohydrates, but it's like front loaded on that pathway. So even if you're Kipchoge and you're amazing at metabolic flexibility, like ketones is basically like front running that right. oxidative process. 
Got it. And then as we work through that initial ketone ester that we ingested, then we'll get now get started into the if we didn't take the ester pathway. The endogenous ketone. Generally speaking, right? yeah, generally speaking, then we would be now to where we would have started without the ester and then getting going there. So you almost yep. have a bit of a head start metabolically, but a huge meta right. metabolic advantage. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So one of the things, um, one of the things that we worked on was we actually are people, I don't know if people are familiar with something called the hour where I'll just explain it. Where basically you get into a velodrome on a, usually it's a, a track bike, single speed track bike, and you bike as far as you can in an hour. So Okay. We supplied ketones to the current record holder of the hour, Vittoria Busi, an Italian woman cyclist. Uh, so she okay. broke the record. So, you know, faster than any woman has ever gone in a velodrome in an hour, powered in part with ketones. So that's a kind, that's a really like, nice. sweet spot for us because like kind of connecting the dots from what you're saying, like, yeah, if it's just a hundred meter dash, then I don't think that ketones have much to offer. But once you start getting right. into that, like, hour to you know marathon length exertion where fuel selection starts really mattering at the you know glycolytic and oxidative levels that's where this right. starts having a really interesting story to tell interesting i love that yeah that, that really clarifies the, the use case of ketones and then another question for you too um so let's say we're not an athlete have, have you read and this this might be a bit far-fetched but read or experienced anything with just like ketones and work it's like work the psychological stress and demand of the nervous system of working like yeah. decision fatigue, all these things, fatigue that the central nervous system goes through. Have you guys yeah. thought about like so, just the normal person taking a ketone throughout the day? We actually have a $6 million US SOCOM contract going right now. So it's special operations command where they're, they have you know soldiers going through challenging physical endeavors and then being at altitude. So we can maybe, maybe Ooh. connect the dots between RER and altitude, right? Cause when you're at higher altitude, okay. there's less oxygen, your body is not able yeah. to, to uh, go glycolytic as easily. So the right. ketones become even more important anyway. So you can imagine a, a troop of soldiers basically going through rigorous physical activity at simulated 15,000 feet of elevation and then doing essentially target practice. So high cognitive load practice. Got it. What you'd expect is normally like control scenario, you get worse, right? If you ruck for yeah. 15 minutes at altitude and then you're doing target practice, you're gonna get worse. What we've found is that ketones are able to recover a lot of that cognitive ability. Oh, so what is interesting. That, yeah, so what does that mean for you? Like your everyday person, if you're just sitting at your desk, like, yeah, maybe you didn't just ruck at 15K feet, but- um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that a lot, a lot of times the way that we tease out knowledge in physiology is by pushing humans to the extreme and then right. taking that learning and then it can apply more broadly. But I can say, you know, that it has that, it has that effect when you're, you know, you're at your desk or you're solving a, a hard problem or you're, you know, writing an essay. Um, yeah. A lot of, they have, you have that kind of open eyed cognitive sharpness feel. It's actually why, I mean, it's why a lot of people like the keto diet in general or or like doing intermittent fasting or having, you know, coffee with MCT oil in it. It's kind of the right. opposite of, you know, when you eat a super carby meal and then you're sleepy or you have the itis 90 minutes yeah, later. Interesting. 
this is like the opposite of that where you're just, you're sharp, you're alert. Like I, I don't know, I've done a seven day fast before. A lot of people in our community do, you know, that seven day I would not necessarily recommend unless you're really into it for a certain reason. But I, I think, you know, a lot of people in our community do like 16 hour fasts or 18 hour fasts where they eat within a six or eight hour window. You know, a lot of people do 24 or 36 hour fasts on occasion. And a lot of people report feeling really great. They feel really sharp. Um, and a lot of that is honestly, it's the ketones talking. So yeah, again, yeah, if you're able to just ingest it directly, it has um, those kind of eye-opening cognitive sharpness, just subjective effects. So I have a question on this and, and I actually am not sure confident to answer this myself, but so ketones, can ketones cross the blood brain barrier? So I yes. know the brain, they, they can. can. Okay, great. So with that, I think that's really interesting because you always hear, especially in the media, that like sugar is is the fuel source for the brain. You need more sugar. Like your your brain starves for sugar. You see, the, I just saw this. Uh, I think it was a Netflix thing how like Neanderthals grew their brain by oh, like a ton of carbohydrate intake and sugar intake. And I heard and it so was. Um, I, I heard it was magic mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> helped expand <laughs> lots of magic mushrooms. Yeah. Well, so no, is it interesting to talk about this actually? Yeah. Yeah. So with that, I think it's it's really interesting that a lot of people don't. Uh, or maybe that's not out there that ketones and fats are really a yeah. primary driving force well, of metabolism in the brain as well. Let me, yeah, let me clear up the record. So just so people have Please some loose, num loose numbers to attach to things, your body can store about 2000 calories of carbohydrates, glycogen, and it can store about a hundred times as much, even in like a in-shape person, you can store about a hundred times as much calories as fat, a hundred times. Right. So 2000 calories might seem like familiar because that's kind of what's recommended to eat on a daily basis. So you can think about it like you have basically like this carbohydrate camelback that you're wearing that has enough fuel for you for a, like a day. And then after right. that day, you, you're out and then your body needs to have a backup energy source because you, you're right. We have this big brain. And what do you what's supposed to happen if you don't eat carbohydrates for a day? So that's why that's a that's a strong theory of why we developed the ability to even make ketones and why it's a very clear yes yeah. the brain the brain does use ketones is because and part of why we part of the theory of why we do that is to be able to support our big brain despite the fact that we don't have a lot of glycogen on deck for many days right because like prehistoric human didn't have, yeah. didn't have didn't have they know, didn't have skittles they didn't, didn't have, have skittles like, they weren't <laughs> they snacking on those yeah, yeah. They, yeah for they sure they barely even had you know bananas and berries and all that stuff looked way different and was right. way it was less seasonal carbon. and way different and yeah for, more seedy more fatty right yeah so there's so there's a big idea that hey why are humans so good at ketosis is actually because of that you know big brain that we have and that's been a huge metabolic advantage uh, I like that. for us um and it's interesting. I mean, just, yeah, as a side note, we can, we can come go back to the main stuff, but it's actually an interesting no area to, for people to maybe look in. There's something called the stoned ape theory, where basically there was okay. this period of human evolution where there was a rapid increase in brain size. And some anthropologists have pointed to the fact that there, it looks like there was also a high instance of psychoactive use where basically, I mean, this is like layman thing, but it's like, basically imagine you're an ape and you get so high that you basically start having consciousness and you start having theory right. of mind and empathy and developing symbolic systems, writing, that sort of thing. So there's, yeah. there's a ego death, that, like right. other, all those other things. Yeah. 
So and like the ability to look at someone else and say, oh, that that person is also a person and they must be having their own thoughts and dreams and sufferings and pleasures. And Got just, it. They're not me, but I can imagine what they would be like. Like those things that we consider markers of consciousness. Uh, there's a really great book about this called the Immortality Key. Um, we actually interviewed okay. the author of that on the, on the HVMN podcast as well. So it's nice. uh, it's an interesting area. Uh, there's also a movie called Fantastic oh, I love it. Fungi called fantastic fun guy that goes into his i i have no skin in the game like i have we don't we're not like commercializing on psilocybin right now or anything like that but interesting yeah. area for for you know folks 100 yeah super interesting yeah i'm totally out of scope too i'm not an anthropologist in any nature so. <laughs> but i absolutely love the topic that's dope i'm actually going to do some reading after this for sure right now and check that theory out um but as you said topping back into one of the topics so you talked about um a concept earlier about cycling substrate specifically to yeah. perform well in a race, AKA yes. nutritional periodization. And I think that's one of the big takeaways that we can talk about today is that at not all points throughout someone's training cycle or lifespan, will the ketone ester be the optimal fuel source for them to use, right? right. And at some points, carbohydrates aren't, like carb loading isn't gonna really help you either. So right. if you could enlighten us on your thoughts on nutritional periodization and the training cycle, specifically of a runner, having that tempo run, a hard run, a long and slow run, like how do you work yeah. through nutrition and how do you even consider, wait, am, I'm supposed to eat different the day before each of those different intensities runs? Like, whoa, mind blowing yeah. concept, next level. And that's where we're at with modern nutrition and modern science. So please enlighten us there. Love it. And it reminds me of the saying that the fourth sport of triathlon is nutrition that it's impossible. Uh -huh. I don't know if you heard that. It's impossible to have it. get to a certain level of, you know, performance in a Ironman type event or a half Ironman or a marathon, you know, anything that's long like that. Um, it's impossible to get to your true potential if you're not taking nutrition seriously. Um, right. So yeah, let me address that. So a lot with, with marathon running, oftentimes it's divided into three stages. So I know like personally, I'll train off of the uh, Scott Douglas advanced marathoning book. Um, I know like Hal okay. Higdon has a pot, you, you know, I, I'm sure people know, like there's the top two, three, four guides that everyone goes to. Um, I know, yeah, there's Jack Daniels running formula. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people who right. put together guides will put together, you know, three different phases where it's like base building mm -hmm. and then like, like you're kind of hybrid, you're doing some speed work. And then there's kind of this finishing phase and not surprisingly, your nutrition needs will change throughout those as well. Um, one way I think about it is that if you're doing, what is the goal of the workout? That's maybe the, the most immediate answer. So if you're workout, whichever phase that you're in, if you're doing a run that is you know, long and slow, so you're doing like a zone two, I don't know, 16 miles, the goal there is to be able to train your body to be very efficient at a relatively low heart rate. And also because right. it's a relatively low rate of exertion, your body could, should get away with using fat, not glycogen for that, that workout. Right. So again, if you're going slow, if you're, if your goal is, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hit a two hour run in zone two, you could consider doing that run in a carbohydrate depleted state. So maybe for breakfast, you have eggs and avocado or you just, you know, you fat, you run first thing in the morning, you have water and coffee, don't have anything to eat. Yeah. And basically what you're going to have your body do is be in that mode of mainly using fat and ketones for energy. 
However, if your exercise is, you know, homework for, homework is to go do 10 by 10 by 400s or some pyramid workout at the track, the goal of that workout is very different, right? Because the goal on that is, especially if you're a marathon runner, why are you doing 400s? It's really to work on your technique, work on your ability to move with speed. And so you actually want to be fully carbohydrate replete. You want to be able to move quickly. Like you don't want to be flagging. And in order, like, just to reemphasize, I think you already explained it really well, but like, if you're going to be giving a good effort on a 400 or an 800, that's going to be a glycolytic or a, a phosphogenic energy system that you're using. So you're at a disadvantage in that workout if you're trying to do fat ketone yeah, metabolism. Keto. Right, 100%. I think a, a really important thing to sum up what you're sharing is, so I was a, a head strength coach and I worked with some athletes at the collegiate level, a couple of which were experimenting with the keto diet. This is 2016. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but around the height of the social media keto state, it, like the, it was on CNN, you know what I mean? That area, those years. And so they gave it a shot and they would come in and they would do their lifts and their power movements and everything. And they, their performance would just be shot. They had barely any strength in the power movements. their sprint times dropped. But what was interesting is that they were able to maintain the same sprint speed, even though it was lower for a longer duration. Longer, so they had yeah. better energy metabolism, but you're not as fast. Right. So yeah. they were significantly slower, but in the sport, they were playing football. That didn't make sense. That was not a good That's fit for that right. metabolic workload. Right. It's an absolute power sport. Um, yeah. So that, hopefully that gives some more context to that scenario is that we all have specific bioenergetic That's demands right. and there's bioenergetic specificity associated with each thing that we're doing. So um, yeah. loading and thinking about your nutrition based on what you're going to do is critical. Um, and then I have one other question for you. Um, and so I'm curious as your thought, not only like as not even, maybe not as a competitor proper way to put this, but so you have like goo energy gels, you have all these intake things like sugar molecules, mm -hmm. right? And we know that yeah. around 60 minutes to 90 minutes into an intense bout of exercise, glycogen usually starts to really plummet. We agree. We, we really start to see like, like well, it's, plummets it's, and, and it's plummeting the whole time. It just drops below the right. threshold at 60 to 90 minutes the where you the start usual to flag. Correct. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So at that point, right, that's when it's in theory, it's really important to start taking this exogenous um, carbohydrate to get those fuel levels back up. But our body doesn't have time to reconvert that back right. into glycogen. It only exactly. turns into glucose, right? We just use it not even fast really enough. quickly and not fast enough to really use it that quick. So um, I'm curious your thoughts with during race right. nutrition and so as you as a 242 marathoner like your thoughts there if that makes sense yeah no that makes a lot of sense so what i would to be clear what i what i do when i run marathons and what i think is probably best standard advice is fuel before you need it like it's, if you're hungry it's already too late if you're starting to flag it's already too yeah. late so it feels funny when you're in like peak athletic shape and you've tapered and you, the race just started half an hour ago you're like whatever, five miles into it. And like, you're not remotely hungry yet, but that's actually the time to take your first goo or your first Morton's right. because here's what's going on, right? Your body is burning carbohydrate. It's burning glycogen faster than you could possibly digest it. Your GI system has a certain rate limit to it. And your body is burning. The, the hole in the bucket is bigger than the spigot going in, even if you're just slamming yeah. goos. And so Great this is analogy, where- yeah. 
this is where we're actually still seeing so much innovation on carbohydrates. It's, it's interesting, right? Because Gatorade launched with the Florida Gators back in whatever, 1980 something, 1970 something. Yeah. And we're still to this day, like, you know, Morton is still, you know, pushing things forward. Goo is still coming up with goo pouches that you have multiple types of carbohydrates in it to try to basically like parallel, parallelize out like, Hey, instead of yeah. just giving you this, this one bolus of carbohydrate, can we give it to you in two, three, four different forms that can like parallelize through parts of the GI process. So they're able to get processed, you know, and it's like right. multiple lines at the, at the checkout at the supermarket instead of one line. It's That's like, relative and, to the, uh, the GI index, right? The right. Uh, glycemic index. So basically one's going to hit the bloodstream really quickly. The other is going to metabolize slightly slower and slower and slower. So that way you're getting prolonged energy. Is that what you're saying there? The, it's partly that sometimes they'll, they will okay. have different. Yeah. It's partly they will have different, um, different speeds, like different, different glycemic indexes, different speeds at which they get processed. But like in a marathon, you kind of want everything as soon as possible. Like, it, yeah. yeah and so, so say that I need fuel, but, but, but you, what, so what they'll do is like, they'll have, you know, BCAAs which are broken down proteins. And then they'll also have certain simple sugars or multiple different types of simple sugars with the intent that all of these substrates are designed to be as fast as possible, but that they can go through slightly mm. different pathways. So you're able to get, uh. it, get them all very quickly without using up, you know, if like substrate A might be using up a bunch of enzyme A and so you don't want a ton of A, you want some amount of A, and then you want, you want substrate B that can be processed by enzyme B, substrate C gotcha. that can be processed. By, so um, you can think of ketones as like a major other one of those where they basically go back to the carb, the, sorry, the, the fat and ketone system, which is like more of a totally wholly separate pathway than the carbohydrate pathways. And so right. you're, able, you're able to basically parallelize out you know, even better. By just, it by makes just me think supercomputer fuel types. Yeah, it makes me think supercomputer processing things in parallel. That parallel is what you yeah. said before. Now it makes a lot more sense. It's in parallel. Yeah, yeah. Good, awesome. I love that. Um, and then Michael, last last mm -hmm. question and content for you: nootropics. So I know healthy and yeah. modern nutrition also offers nootropics. So, dude, yeah. how close are we to actually dropping a limitless pill? Like, limitless really? How pill. close are yeah, we? Yeah. Where are we at? Like, I know I think, most people have probably seen the movie. Yeah. So that's a good, yeah. like, I think generalization of what nootropics could be yep. or are and so on. So um, I'd love to hear just your thoughts riffing on like, what is a nootropic? How do we use it? Are we, yeah, is yeah. that even possible? Like what's good with it? Yeah. Yeah. Nootropics, super fascinating area. And that's actually the first products that we launched as a company were nootropics. Nootropics is so in a, in a sentence, nootropics are cognitive supplements. They're pills usually, or drinks that you can eat that improve your cognitive performance. And before people are like, whoa, that's crazy. I would say, well, think about coffee, you know, a billion cups of coffee are drank right. every single day, largely for performance, right. For alertness uh, to, you know, to all the good things that caffeine does. And so really nootropics is just a natural continuation of that question of like, Hey, is there something that can improve performance even beyond just caffeine? And the answer is yes, right? Because if there's plenty of white papers and double blind studies shown that, that'll show, for instance, like caffeine, when you combine it with L-theanine, which is what's found in tea, like green tea, that the L-theanine, it's an anxiolytic, it reduces anxiety. So when combined with caffeine, which promotes alertness, 
you get alertness, but like not with the same amount of jitters as that you would, that you would normally mm. get with straight caffeine. So all of a sudden, there you go. Caffeine plus L-theanine ha- can have a better performance profile for certain tasks than caffeine alone. And then it continues from there. And it's actually interesting. The analogy that you, that you drew, like, well, it depends what you're trying to race. If you're trying to run a marathon versus you're trying to play football, it's a very different nutritional strategy, different training strategy, all of that. Same with nootropics. There's just a difference between trying to engage a high level of focus, for instance, versus a high level of creativity and dot connecting. So as you're starting to think about nootropics, it's like, well, what is, what is the task at hand? Um, Mm -hmm. Do I, yeah, do I, do I want to, you know, sit and focus and have really quick reaction time? Or do I want to, um, you know, come up with that outside of the box idea that I didn't already have? So there's this broad area of nootropics and yeah, an area that's really exciting. Um, Incredible. And yeah, a lot of developments going on there, obviously, as different compounds are moving from um, illegal to therapeutic to recreational use, and then just more sophistication from different people on how to how to utilize them, as well as what kind of what we're talking about at the front of the call, like you know, ability to uh, to measure it, to even know what it, it it's working, uh, to be yeah. able to you know, rate, hey, how is my cognitive performance today? How am I doing on these on these tests? How am I feeling um, in a mood and subjective way? And being able to measure those in a rigorous scientific way to be able to optimize them would be the goal. Yeah. I love it, man. You have dropped some absolute gems. I really, really appreciate you hopping on, man. Much love. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Trevor. Really appreciate the Dude, time. Uh, yeah, of course. Before we hop off, um, I want to make sure people know how to find you. You said hvmn.com, best, best avenue. Like if you guys haven't checked out yeah. these resources, uh, you guys also have a blog I was peeking through. You have a ton of good educational content on nootropics, on ketone esters. Like if you haven't, check it out, try it. If anything, order some and experience it because I'll tell you what, I tried your ester that you gave me when you came into the lab for a marathon trial and I was pumping with the PR, actually straight up PR. Um, so amazing. Like, I broke three. It was, it was incredible. So amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Check us out at oh, hvmn.com and, uh, you know, find me on Twitter. I, you know, I tweet back, find me on BDM okay. <laughs> underscore runner, BDM underscore runner. Um, find me directly or yeah, find the company. Uh, love to, love to hear from folks. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you for hopping on.